everybody, this is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. Well, as I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I don't know what to tell you. I mean that literally, I didn't prepare anything for this segment, and now I don't know what to talk about. Normally I try to have a little something, at least a general topic that I'm going to discuss right now, but man... It's supposed to be 107 degrees today. Well, okay, that's not entirely accurate. It's never supposed to be 107 degrees. That is something that it's definitely not supposed to be, ever. But it is allegedly going to be 107 degrees, which is a bunch of hooey. I am violently opposed to this idea. Fortunately, we do have a tiny air conditioner in our room that works about halfway, which is great. It honestly never would have occurred to me to buy an air conditioner because partly in Portland you only needed about like a week and a half, two weeks a year. But also because it just doesn't seem like the sort of thing that can be purchased. But a couple of years ago, a very good friend of mine bought one for me that was actually delivered to my house on the hottest day of the year as a surprise present, which was awesome. What wasn't so awesome was somebody stole it off of my doorstep. She called and was like, hey, I saw the package got delivered, and I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh, I got you a surprise. Do you like it? And yeah, it had been delivered and somebody had stolen it. Which sucked, but did make me realize that, oh, purchasing an air conditioner is something someone can do. Something I can do. So I ended up doing that. But it did leave me the problem of Somebody is stealing packages off of my doorstep, and I'm not crazy about that. So, my solution to this is a self-help tip for all of you guys. A little life hack. What you do is, you keep all your boxes, like, if you get anything shipped to you, or if you work at a place that has boxes, like, say, liquor boxes if you're a bartender, you just put your garbage in those, and you leave them on your front step addressed to you. And then people steal your garbage. And eventually they get sick of stealing your garbage, and then they don't steal your real stuff because they think it might be garbage. So, that's the plan. Anyway, that got a little ramblier than I had intended, so without any further ado, let's do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Bradley Null. Well, Robin and Starfire have a tryst. We can pause for a synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Bradley, man. New Teen Titans, number 21, July 1982. Beware the wrath of Brother Blood. Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal. Teen Titan Roll Call. Starfire. Raven. Cyborg. Wonder Girl. Beast Boy. Robin. Kid Flash. Previously in Cyborg's Love Life. Victor Stone, a.k.a. Cyborg, has had a rough go of it romantically. His high school sweetheart Macy dumped him and refused to talk to him after extra-dimensional thought monsters ate his mom and half his body. What an asshole. Turned out that Mossy's parents were straight-up robophobes and insisted that no daughter of theirs would have a bionic-bodied boyfriend. I guess the asshole acorn doesn't fall far from the asshole tree. Once Mossy had ghosted on him, Cyborg sought solace in sympathetic schoolteacher Sarah Sims. Unfortunately, DC decided they weren't ready to depict interracial dating, and the relationship was rewritten as them just being good buddies. Which was total bullshit. The relationship of the purportedly platonic pals was placed in further peril when Deathstroke, the super assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs, kidnapped Sarah to use as leverage against a relatively robotic real good buddy. The Titans rescued the pretty blonde schoolteacher, but since then Cyborg has felt guilty about jeopardizing his just good friend and has been avoiding her for several months. Gadzooks! Between cock-blocking, robophobic parents, one-eyed assassins, and editorial-enforced institutional racism, will our robotic Romeo ever be a romantic lead? Have we seen the last of Mechanical Man marginalizing Marcy? And what will it take for Marcy's parents to see the error of their ways? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, no. No, he never really does. If you want more details on that, you should check out Son of Baldwin's excellent article, Humanity Not Included, DC's Cyborg and the Mechanization of the Black Body. It's really good. Um, no. Then, most definitely yes. And their only daughter getting vaporized by a ray gun. Evil terrorists are attempting to blow up Yankee Stadium, 
which I am totally opposed to. What about the opposing team and the fans who might be cheering for them? Did you terrorists even consider that? Fortunately, Raven and Starfire are on the case. Raven uses her giant bird soul self to cocoon the terrorists, while Coriander, with a little help from Reggie Jackson, locates the bomb under the third base bag and flies up to fling it into space. She manages to throw the bomb before it detonates, but she's still within the bomb's blast radius. The warrior space princess plummets to the earth, unconscious. Fortunately, Raven's there to help. Sort of. At first, the Azerathian empath snags Starfire out of the air, enveloping her in the total darkness of Raven's soul self, which is cool in that it stops the orange-skinned ingenue from smashing into the ground, but not so cool in that Starfire is apparently solar-powered. Turns out that smothering her in total darkness when she's already injured from an explosion isn't really the best idea. Whoops. Fortunately, the bird cosplaying goth druid is able to use her healing powers to patch up the damage done by the bomb's detonation and by her own inadvertent sensory deprivation tank. Hooray! We cut to a satellite in space where some anonymous asshole in a swivel chair has been watching the whole thing. Turns out this Dr. Claw wannabe had hired the terrorists just to put the titans through their paces and gather intel on them. What a prick. Wait a minute. I just noticed something from that baseball game. One of the opposing team's jerseys was for the Houston Astros. But in 1982, they were a National League team. That means that either the home team was actually the Mets, which makes no sense seeing as their uniforms had no orange in them, Reggie Jackson never played for the Mets, and there were people in the stands, or that in the DCU, they had interleague play back in the early 80s. No wonder that universe is such a fucked up place. Now I kind of wish the stadium had blown up. Anyway, on to less horrifying matters. Cyborg's ex-Marcy is fleeing through the woods of Massachusetts from a raygun-wielding cult member intent on vaporizing her. Her pursuer finally catches up to Marcy and stands on some train tracks to level her weapon at the terrified teen, declaring that Marcy has sinned against the Church of Brother Blood, the religiously robed reprobate prepares to execute, or as she says, excommunicate, her cowering prey. Only, remember that part where I said she stopped on some train tracks to level her weapon? Yeah. Not an ideal weapon-steadying location. A train comes and smashes the oblivious zealot. Hooray! So I guess Marcy's gonna be alright after all. Right? Right? Back in Cyborg's Manhattan apartment, Vic is finally having a chat with his definitely-not-girlfriend-whatever-gave-you-that-impression, Sarah Sims. Sarah says that she's been worried about Cyborg because she hasn't heard from him, and Cyborg says that she hasn't heard from him because he's been worried about her. Oh, you stupid, stupid idiots. The non-couple's conversation concerning the nature of their conflicting co-concern is interrupted by a phone call. It's Marcy. She's managed to escape her pursuers and fled to an old friend's apartment not too far from Vic's place. She begs Cyborg for help, but before he can respond, there is a loud, SCRUBLAM! And three cult members of the Church of Brother Blood use their ray guns to Kool-Aid man their way through the wall and start blasting away at the terrified teen. Hearing the commotion over the phone line, Vic literally leaps into action, jumping over the city blocks that separate him from his imperiled ex-girlfriend. But he arrives too late. The apartment Marcy called from is nothing but a smoldering crater of ashes, and, having executed their heretical prey, the cult members are now nowhere to be found. A distraught cyborg does that wolverine thing where he drops to his knees and bellows at the heavens in grief and frustration. Shitty. Meanwhile, back in Massachusetts, at the Church of Brother Blood, Sister Karen the young woman who had apparently brought Marcy into the fold initially, is having a rough go of it. The church's leader, Brother Blood himself, is berating her for not revealing to him that Marcy's high school sweetheart was a superhero. Few notes about Brother Blood. He has a red and black spandex suit covered by a dope white cape with a Dracula collar. He has an animal skull on top of his head, a Tuma style. And he sits in a throne made out of a giant snake skull. So, if you're ever not sure whether your religion is in fact an evil cult, the priest sitting in a throne made out of a giant skull is probably a pretty good clue. Oh, you want another good clue? The leader punishing his parishioners by feeding them to his giant pet spider. Which is what happens to the unfortunate sister Karen. Dang. You know, I don't want to be too reactionary, but I think revoking that church's tax-exempt status might be in order. Back at the Titan Tower, the gang is worried about Victor. Vic tells him that he's fine, but he's got some stuff to do. The other teens seem unconvinced as to Vic's purported well-being, and vow to do everything in their power to bring Marcy's killer to justice. The next day, 
a solemn victor attends Marcy's funeral. At first, Marcy's dad is a real butthole, yelling at Vic and saying that her death is his fault. Vic takes it all in stride. Then the other titans show up, with several of them wearing unbuttoned black trench coats over their regular crime-fighting duds. Once they show up, Marcy's dad chills the fuck out and apologizes to Vic. I guess having masked teenagers who look like flashers show up at your daughter's funeral can really put things in perspective. He tells the young funeral crashers that after he forced Marcy to break up with Vic, she was all mopey and shit, and then went off to join the Church of Brother Blood in Buzzards Bay, Massachusetts. That was the last he ever heard from her. He now wishes that he had more thoroughly vetted the organization when Marcy first expressed interest. Aw, oh, hey Marcy's dad, don't be so hard on yourself. A lot of parents would hear the words, Church of Brother Blood, Buzzards Bay, and think, yeah, that sounds like a trustworthy institution. I mean, it probably didn't have anything like skull thrones or giant spiders in the brochures. Soon after the funeral, Robin, Raven, Donna, and Wally go undercover as new recruits to Brother Blood's cult. They are taken to Blood's compound in the back of a van by a driver named Belcher, who refers to his cargo as Peach Fuzz, ripe for pickin'. So, that's not creepy and awful. At the cult's freshman orientation, some priests inform them that Brother Blood is over 700 years old and has been operating his church for at least that long. Where, you ask? Why, on the island nation of Zandia. Hmm, Zandia, eh? Bizarrely, even when they get back to the privacy of their new quarters, none of the Titans has any reaction to the fact that Blood's old home is the obscure Baltic nation populated entirely by criminals where they recently fought in a bloody and traumatizing war. Huh, maybe they forgot? Maybe they're just distracted by the fact that Raven is wearing pants for apparently the first time in her life. She is not a fan. I hear you, sister. Perhaps if they had not been so distracted by the oppressive tyranny of trousers, the quartet of incognito teens might have noticed Blood's minions monitoring their vital signs clandestinely with their weird super science -y machines. Uh-oh. Later that evening at a ceremony, various teenage recruits are brought before Brother Blood to atone for their perceived sins. First, a young man named William Loring admits to missing his parents. Blood thanks him for confessing, and instructs him to work double chores for six months as penance. Harsh! Next, a young woman named Wendy Fletcher is brought forward. She insists that she hasn't sinned. Brother Blood has. She calls him an asshole and tells him to fuck off. Hey, you remember a second ago when I said that that double chores thing was harsh? Yeah, never mind. Because when Wendy tells Brother Blood off, he whips out a ray gun and vaporizes her. Bet William feels pretty good about peeling extra potatoes for a semester right about now. The shock of seeing a life snuffed out in front of her overloads Raven's empath circuits for a second, and she collapses in pain. Blood takes the opportunity to point out to his followers that he is wise to the fact that the Titans have infiltrated his ranks. He commands his parishioners to attack the not-as-incognito-as-they-had-thought interlopers. Wally makes a break for it and attacks Brother Blood directly, but the self-styled messianic menace electrocutes the junior wizard of Wiz like it ain't no thing. Snap. Then he zaps Robin with his ray gun. I guess Robin must have been wearing a vaporization-proof vest because it only knocks the boy wonder out rather than disintegrating him. Double snap. The alliteratively named Archfiend next turns his attention to Donna, who he first shoots with his ray gun, then bashes over the head with an enormous Doric column that he hefts with apparent ease. Damn. Raven stands to confront the skull-hatted douche who just vanquished her teammates. The two lock eyes and Raven considers her options. In the end, she decides to hesitate for a second, and then get blasted with a ray gun. Interesting choice, Raven. As Blood celebrates his victory with his minions, Raven uses the last of her energy to send her soul self out to tell the other titans of their predicament. Oh shit, you know what? That might have been an Ionic column, not a Doric one. I mean, I didn't see any scrolls at the top, but it would have been in keeping with the architecture of the compound. To be continued. Hey, you know what? We don't actually get a clear indication of when this story takes place. Maybe it's fall and that was the World Series, not regular season interleague play. Nah. Even in a world with robot men and flying space princesses, I refuse to believe that the 1982 Astros could make it to the World Series. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm okay. I fucked up my knee again. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. 
the second time in a year I have fucked up my knee singing karaoke. Oh, again, Hubbard? Yeah. <laughs> Same song, too. <laughs> Superstar by the Carpenters. Nobody is safe. Man, not me. Nope. Man, the price I pay for these dulcet tones. Dulcet? Is it dulcet? I don't know. Is that, like, from a dulcimer? Yeah. Like my tones. Shit. Ripped from a dulcimer. Oh. And jammed into my throat. Ow. Eh, that's the price you pay. And that's that why... and knee injuries. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So, what'd you think? A little dark. Enjoyed finally seeing Cyborg get to tell Sarah how he felt. Sort of. Not really at all. Yeah, there was that. It was very dark and I actually thought it was really well done. Mm-hmm. Like, I liked it. It is a very abrupt tonal shift from the last issue that we covered. Especially as the last Teen Titans thing that we read was the really goofy five-page story where Wolfman and Perez end up in the DCU. And it was like pure, almost Mad Magazine-style goofy shenanigans. So this is pretty different from that. Yeah, I was trying to think, but I was, you know, what, eight years old when this came out? Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, my memory of current events at that time was not strong. But I'm wondering if that was the time in which there were various cult things in the news where parents were worried their kids were going to go off and join a cult. I know that was a very 80s thing. And that, like, kids were being seduced away from Christianity with... Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons, fucking Smurfs, Care Bears, all that shit got blamed on it. Oh, really? Yeah, man. I, I read this book called Lambs to the Slaughter that was about how the Care Bears were uh, <laughs> preparing children for satanic teachings. And this was a serious book? Yeah, serious as a heart attack, Corey. Oh, I bet. So, no, I only remember Heavy Metal and D&D, D&D being, yeah. being the, big, the big ones. Did you watch Mazes and Monsters? No. It's the Tom Hanks movie what? from the early 80s. It was one of his first movies, but basically the idea behind it was, look, you can play Dungeons and Dragons if you want, but it's going to make you murder a hobo, and then you'll go to a mental hospital. That sounds awful. Yeah, it was not fun for Tom Hanks. Oh, no. He got way too in. Everybody got way too into that game of Dungeons and Dragons, and then he freaked out and uh, murdered a hobo. With a mace? I think he just had a knife, but I think he thought that the hobo was a minotaur. What? I mean, he was wrong, Corey. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, that it was a Minotaur. <laughs> Just the idea of Tom Hanks being wrong doesn't make any sense. How is this possible? <laughs> I wanted that movie to be more fun than it was. Mm. It was really crazily slow-paced. It was a Canadian movie. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on the fine nation of Canada, but there are... Guys need to pick it up a little. Movies Early are 80s cinema left a bit of something to be desired. There were these long establishing shots where I was like, okay, I get that they're driving their car someplace that is far away. You don't need to show the car for a full five minutes. That's a long shot. It really was. So, in conclusion, Mazes and Monsters. Give it a miss. Thumbs down. Oh, yeah, we read this comic book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty good. It was good. Brother Blood. Creepo. Major Creepo. Mm-hmm. Not a god. Well, is he, though? Oh, that's true. He could be with the DC. Do we there. know? It, it's weird. There's. He touched a little thing on his wrist to make a laser shoot off, though. That makes me think he's a, just a regular dude. Dude, if I was god, I'd buy a laser. Save on the wear and tear. I mean, Thunderbolts are a full-body workout, man. The guy I, is if, ripped. If I can get some, like, smiting accoutrement Mm. help me out with that shit it does raise the larger question of how religion works in the dcu robin and wally have a little discussion about it and i actually misread very slightly wally's dialogue but it was pretty telling and i still think it captures the general tone do you see those supposed nuns not one of them wears a crucifix and wally's response is whatever this is it's not a real religion Now, I thought it was Wally saying, whatever, this is not a real religion. (laughs) Uh, But either way, that is the general tone of it. What does comprise a real religion? It seems implausible to me that people wouldn't just be worshipping superheroes, that none of the superheroes would think that they were gods, because they have amazing, sometimes godlike powers. And I guess through some trickery, probably, Brother Blood has gotten his powers, and so they are not divine in nature. But if he just had those powers, like if they were mutant powers, would that be them being defined in nature? Like, 
another way to say to call mutation if he was born with those powers are they god given is he a god it raises a bunch of weird questions that i had never really thought about about what role religion plays in a universe where magic and fantastical things are kind of the commonplace yeah it got me thinking about scientology a bit i was wondering that too because when wally says you know what hurts Something twisted like this thrives while many real religions are in trouble. And I was half expecting Wally to launch into a Scientology conversion discussion at that point. I have a note that I wrote down. Yes. What does this note say, Corey? It says, is Wally a Scientologist? What what led you to believe that? Just that interaction? Just that one. I was like... It's weird that we both read that the same way. I think we both read Going Clear pretty recently. But yeah, it, it's an interesting thing to think about. We talked about the tone. It is dark and really well pulled off. And kind of as a corollary to that, this issue does have, I know you didn't have it in the reprint, but there's a 16-page insert that is the premiere of a book called Night Force, which is also written by Marv Wolfman. An instant uh, collector's item. Oh, yes, quite. That's what it I said on the cover. Yeah, well, it is. Oh. And I have it, and I collected it. Well... Corey, how long do you think it took me to do that? An instant? It was instantaneous. That's awesome. <laughs> as soon as I had it, I had collected it. Bam. It's a really cool story, and actually the illustration is by Gene Colan, who I think part of why Wolfman is able to pull off that kind of really dark tone really well in this comic book is because he, for years, wrote Tomb of Dracula, hmm. which Gene Colan was his collaborator for that. I like the way that it is transferring that kind of gothic intensity to the superhero genre. Uh, I think it's a really nice mashup there, and it's pretty cool. Pretty cool indeed. Mm-hmm. What would you think of Marcy and her tragic end? I thought that sucked. It did suck. I mean, I was not a fan of Marcy. She was a real jerk to Vic last time they hung out. I know, but still. But yeah, if teenagers got killed for being jerks, we would not have a lot of teenagers. No, human race would be in trouble. I would be in trouble, man. I was probably a jerk as a teenager. Ugh. I don't know whether that shiver was the thought of me getting my comeuppance for my behavior as a teen, or just the very idea of me as a teenager, or the very idea of teens. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit of dash of each. Hmm, could be. There was one funny thing when Marcy was being chased. So when you are killed... Yes. Because Brother Blood doesn't like you. They right. call it being excommunicated. Right. Classic. Pretty. That's some good bad guy talk. Yep. Pretty clever. But so the gal's chasing her, trying to excommunicate her. With a ray gun. Yep. And she's standing on some train tracks, and there's a train coming, and the lady's just standing <laughs> and there. And the train is coming for panels behind. The whole time you hear this chugga, 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 chugga. And I'm like thinking, get off the tracks, man. Like, I'm I know glad she didn't. I know you're the bad guy. But she just stood there and got hit by the train. <laughs> Very poor timing on her part. I like to believe in her defense that maybe Brother Blood was clouding her mind in some way with his influence, but... You are invincible to trains! <laughs> that was a bad move, man. There is another really fun scene, which I'm sure we will get to later on in the discussion, where we find out that Raven, in going undercover, as a member of the Church of Brother Blood, has put on pants for the first time. <laughs> and she does not like them. No. But we see in the panel right after that, when she's just being like, these pants, I don't like them. I've never worn pants before. They are not comfortable. You know what else makes me uncomfortable? Huh. Brother Blood. And then she looks at a picture of Brother Blood. In the portrait that Brother Blood has hanging in his church, he is like draping his cape in front of himself dramatically and it looks like he's doing the like giving doing the motion of flipping you off but i'm not actually flipping you off where you like i thought it like put your yeah, fist up the up yours yeah symbol. the up yours thing that i think the up yours thing is generally a middle finger but he's not actually doing the middle finger it's the way that they did it in Spaceballs, where they do the gesture of giving someone the middle finger without giving them a middle finger yeah Pretty good. Yeah. If I was a supervillain who ran a church, that would totally be my, hey, worship this picture of me, where I'm saying, up yours, and hiding myself behind a cape. So mysterious. He must have posed like that for hours, because that's probably a pretty old painting. It's probably from 700 years ago. It's like oil painting. Uh-huh. That's true. He's been alive for 700 years. Uh-huh. And he started his religion where? Oh, shit. That's right. Zambia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally spaced <laughs> out. You visited there. Well... I don't like to talk about it. Oh, I'm sorry. 
So you saw some things, man. No, just you you gotta sign waivers. And oh, shit. shit. You got an NDA with the Zandian government. Tough. Well, we're maybe gonna break that right now. Oh. Maybe, okay, don't talk about the things you saw, but you can still talk about Zandia in general and its history, yes? Sure, okay. Okay, that was a, that was a clause? Yeah, well, yeah, it's a clause. Okay, good. Yeah, so we find out that Brother Blood's religion started off in Zandia, where it was around there for like 700 years. Well, that's all hearsay, really. We, I mean, we don't even necessarily know that Zandia has been around for that long. It's confusing. <sighs> Drinking this beer is not making it less confusing, Corey. What? One of the things that struck me as being a little bit weird about the way that Blood's, let's call them his minions, sure, are describing him and the fact that he's been alive for 700 years they Mm -hmm. think that he's a god yep they described it as it existed for many years on the island nation of zandia i had assumed that what happened in zandia had been a big news story about all the people getting killed about yes or all the maybe literally all the people getting killed about the cataclysmic event where a giant flying ziggurat appeared over it and robot people started killing everything It just seems odd to me that he would still describe it as the island nation of Zandia. Instead of, I feel like at that point, Zandia had probably been a pretty big part of the news cycle, like a few months ago. Mm -hmm. He could probably just say Zandia. Sure. But that leads me to believe that maybe everything was all hushed up. And also brings into mind the like, I don't know what even constitutes a news story in the DC universe. Mm -hmm. Crazy shit's happening all the time. What if it gets reported and what doesn't? You look at some of the stories that, like, Jimmy Olsen is filing about his pal Superman in the 60s. These are fluff pieces. Is that what passes for journalism? Are there so many, like, world-shattering cataclysmic events that it's all just local news fluff pieces on the news? Yeah, unless you need to get a message to the Teen Titans. Oh, yeah. Well, then you just rent out the news station. Right. They have a special contingency for that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like I said, I can't really talk about Sandy. Oh, that's fair. All right. Well, moving on. Let's talk about something you can talk about. Sure. Our national pastime. Baseball? Oh, Corey, baseball's not our oh, national terrorism. pastime. Yes. <laughs> terrorism. How could I get so confused? <laughs> the issue starts off, the new Teen Titans are foiling a terrorist attempt at a baseball game. I'm relieved but... because I actually cannot talk about baseball at any length. Oh, really? I don't know much about it. Oh, but legally you can. Oh, yeah, no. That, yep. <laughs> Just logistically, it proves difficult. They're wrong, you know. They call baseball the great American pastime. Perhaps long ago, in a more innocent age, it was, but no longer. America's newest pastime, indeed the pastime for most of the world today, is a far more brutal game in which there are no winners. The name of the game is terrorism. Yeah, that was really oddly. Really oddly phrased, especially because later on, Robin makes a point of saying, most people in the world are good and don't belong to evil cults that murder people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, weird national... Most people are really great. International pastime. Yeah, I don't think that's true. Yeah, me neither. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that the international pastime is not, in fact, terrorism. I support that. What do you think it is? International pastime? Yeah, probably soccer, huh? Probably. Okay, moving along. <laughs> yep. But it was kind of a fun, you see the Titans interacting with the people at the baseball game, and with the baseball players, digging things up. Man, you know who's less, who knows less about baseball than me? Starfire? Raven. Yeah, Raven doesn't know shit. She turns to the pitcher and she's like, man, tell us where the bomb is. <laughs> He's like, what lady? Oh yeah, it's under third base. She's like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's over there by the, under that big bag looking thing. Yeah. That was kind of cute. I enjoyed that. It does give me pause and think that maybe despite our earlier suspicions, despite the fact that she learned to suppress all of her feelings, perhaps Azeroth is not in New England. Mm. Because I don't think you could grow up in New England and not know about the Red Sox at least a little bit. That was a Yankees game too. I know. So she could have been like, hey, stop buying all the good players. (laughs) Yeah, man. I guess I do know a thing. Look at look at you go. Huh? Yeah. I've heard things. I did. Gr- <laughs> I know the... Yeah, Yankees bad. Red Sox good. Right. Sorry, uh, New York listeners. But, um... Uh, no. Okay, not all New York listeners are evil, Corey. They don't all like the Yankees. A lot of them like the Mets. Oh, that's true. The they Mets got, are fine. They got two over there. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. Casting right. aspersions on our fine listeners, assuming they are evil, horrible people <laughs> who like the Yankees. That's not the case. Ah, uh, good to know. Yeah, but fun baseball <laughs> shenanigans. Yes. 
There was a drawing of the baseball player. I thought he looked a little bit like Reggie Jackson. Mm. He was big in the TV all the time when I was a kid. He was... Reggie Jackson? Yeah. Yeah, man. He had one of my favorite sports nicknames What's ever. his nickname? The Straw. Oh. The Straw That Stirs the Drink. Dang. Isn't that awesome? That's a that's a complicated nickname. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good, though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Still don't like that he played for the uh, Yankees, but mm. he played for some other teams, too. He was with the A's for a while. Mm -hmm. They're fun. Oakland Athletics? Yeah, I like that their See? name is an adjective. I've now exhausted the extent of my baseball. Knowledge. I really like, I think it's it's the only team I can think of in any sport where the name of the team is an adjective. So, good job. And I like the fact that it is the, the adjective athletic. Basically, their team name is the... Oakland Good at Sports. It's a good name. That's a good name. I also like the Good at Sports as the name for a team. Mm. If anybody wants to give me a sports franchise, I will name it that. That is my solemn promise to you. I saw a picture of you once at a baseball game holding up a sign that said in large letters, I like baseball. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot I did that. It's true. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was at a Mariners game. <laughs> I forgot I made that sign. Thanks for reminding me of that. No problem. I think that Victor's handling of Marcy's death, by and large, seemed to be pretty mature. I thought so, too. He seemed like he was, I mean, he's obviously very upset about it, but he's handling his shit well. Yeah, maybe a little too well as Beast Boy thinking out loud and he's like, oh man, Vic's really angry, I'm scared what's gonna happen when he, like, he's got it all bottled up and oh. when he pulls that cork, it's gonna be bonkers. So do you think maybe that is just me thinking, oh, he's bottling things up. Good. <laughs> he's really mature. <laughs> he's really mature. That is kind of my default setting. <laughs> I understand that emotions are real and they are important, but mostly I think of them as obstacles which must be overcome. I don't think it's necessarily the healthiest attitude, but it is generally mine. I mean, don't you talk about the, the big stuff, sure. 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 But, you know, sometimes... Sometimes just bottle things up. Yeah. And when that bottle fills up, what do you do, Corey? You get a bigger bottle. <laughs> get a bigger bottle. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I didn't know that answer, so I was, ah. I'm glad you bailed me out. Ah, glad I could help. That was a good talk about feelings. <laughs> ah. Ah. I feel like Vic is dealing with things well, although, like we said, that may just be my own personal bias towards repression. But yeah, I, I appreciated that in him. I also thought that it was funny that Donna's take on it was, wow. Victor's taking this pretty hard. Yeah, what's up with that, though? I felt like that was another example of Donna being like, gee, Starfire, it's been a month. We get it. Your fiancé right. was murdered. This is okay. I get that it just happened, but she was your ex-girlfriend. Come on. She was really mean to him. She was very mean to Victor. I did not appreciate that. Boo. But, I mean, I'm not, you know, she sh shouldn't be murdered for that. Now, I understand that the team wants to be supportive of their friend Victor. I think they're going to Marcy's funeral was inappropriate. I think Robin's choice of attire was inappropriate. I think Robin's choice of attire was awesome. <laughs> I like that it is superhero convention. You put a nice black trench coat over your superhero costume if you're going to go in your superhero costume in public. Button it up, dude. If you're doing that, then how will they know that he's Robin? This is so creepy <laughs> to wear a really long coat and, and speedos. And... I don't like it. I do like it. Well, I, but I, I hope that you don't dress like that, even though you like it. I, I'm not going to dress like that all the time, but, you know, for funerals. <laughs> for a funeral, Corey. Okay. For a formal occasion. It seems like they should maybe just have, like, dark colored uniforms. I like the idea of there being different dress uniforms for different occasions for the Titans. It's the same costume, but if you're at a wedding, then it's got, like, a bunch of little extra epaulets on it. Hmm. Or for a funeral, it's the same costume, but maybe long pants and black and gray colors. Sure. I think that would be kind of a good rule to go by. Yeah, if you're going to crash a funeral. Or a wedding. Dress or, appropriately. Yeah, dress appropriately. For given that you are a superhero and you are still going to be dressed bizarrely and garishly. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have those costumes, nice clean lined black trench coat, go down on over your underpants. Button it up. Okay. I think it would be disrespectful to button it up. I think it's creepy. Okay, it's a little creepy. <laughs> but I also think that it is creepy. Not creepy. I think that it is inappropriate that 
five of a dude's work friends show up at his ex-girlfriend's funeral. I know they want to be supportive for him. The funeral isn't for him. I understand that he should go. He had a deep personal connection to this woman. Mm -hmm. And yes, they didn't end things on the best of terms, but he cares about her. That's fine. And I understand the group wanting to be supportive of him, but that is her family's funeral. And they never met her. Mm -hmm. I don't think they should have showed up. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Yeah. I also am uncomfortable with the way that Raven uses her powers to calm down people who are mad at her friend. I thought, though, in this instance, I was worried she was going to do her typical, like, get in the guy's head and... Like, and, show, and show up as Marcy. Just do something <laughs> just really do horrible something shit. really screwed up. And she actually didn't psychologically mess with him. She she, she just kind of soothed him and... She talked to him. She, I mean, she did use her power to I think to she used her powers was, to calm down on. his anger. No, because no, no. I think she did. It would have said that. It said her soothing tones calmed him because she was being an empathetic He does a 180 uh, so quickly on being angry at Victor to, oh, it's not your fault. I feel like she must have used her powers. No, it's just like when it's just the um the tipping point. I don't know, man. It's like he just got it all, like he was cried out, angered out. I would like to believe that. I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt on this one. For a change. Her calm, warming words soothe the anger in Donald Reynolds' heart. Huh? Well, shit. Maybe you're right. Yeah, because normally she just is like, like I'm going to reach she doesn't t- She doesn't touch his forehead. Ah. So, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. She doesn't touch his forehead and she doesn't dress up as his murdered daughter. Mm-hmm. Which is real progress for yeah, her. Yeah, she's coming okay. leaps and bounds. And he does come around really quickly and say like, oh, Brother Blood, oh, I'm sorry, Victor, I shouldn't have snapped at you. Even though he was the guy where even before she gets murdered, he hates Victor because he's angry at robots. He's robo-racist. Yep. Awkward scene, though, all around. Yeah. Yeah, really awkward. But I'm glad you brought me around and made me realize that Raven didn't use her powers to chill him out. No. Because... Yeah, I don't like it when she does that. It's creepy as fuck. Yeah. Like, you do that to supervillains, okay. I'm willing to allow you to bend the rules if lives are in danger. Find the bomb. Right. But when it's just, Robin wants to talk to me and I don't feel like chatting. You're very calm and now asleep. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a dick move. Yes. To dick. Oh. I have one little tidbit, speaking of Cyborg. Yeah? I love the way that he answers the telephone. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Vic Stone, what's your gripe? <laughs> That's really good. When I answer the phone at work, I always answer it by stating the name of the business and then saying, what would you like to talk about? <laughs> That's cute. It's not technically offensive, but it does take people aback for a second. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, but no, I really, I really like that. That's like um, reverse psychology. Do they keep it short? Or did they actually be like, well, actually... No, I think it takes it takes them aback a minute and does make them think, what do I want to talk about? I think it works pretty well. Nice. But yeah, I like, what's your gripe? That's a good way to answer the phone. Other fun ways to answer the phone, just pick up the receiver and say, speaking. Oh, because then people are like, wait, who? What? They know who they called, man. They don't know who's on the other end of the phone. If you answer the phone... And you say speaking, they know that they called you. Well, no, that's like if it's a cell phone and they know the number. If they call a business or something, it could be anybody. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying that's the way you answer your phone at home. Ah, well, even your home phone, if you have roommates and it's a landline, they Corey. still might. Yes? Boo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. There was a ghost who disapproved of your pedantry. Ah, fair enough. I frightened him away. He should be fine now. I'm sorry, what were you saying? It's not important. Ghost. <laughs> so he's showing up when I'm making a point. Sorry. It's okay. I got this haunted comic book room. And you didn't put the doll away. I'm sorry. I'd like to point out how, how mature I am that I have been able to concentrate thus far. That's very that. good of you. I'm sorry. I hadn't noticed that I had not put the creepy doll. Creepy little mug staring right at us. Corey. Yes. I had put the doll away. I... How did it get back there? This is not Corey, a... how did it get back there? That... Just knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, I like how Vic answers his phone too. Pretty good. You know what I don't like? Hmm. The guy who drives a van named Belcher who brings recruits to Brother Blood. Oh, Peach Fuzz. So fucking creepy. Gross. Yeah. The guy who is delivering the newest shipment of recruits to Brother Blood's palatial estate is a dude named Belcher. 
And the, the guy is wearing like the priest robes for Brother Blood's gang, but he's also carrying a machine gun on his back. Gives you a little hint as to the nature of this cult. Yeah. Says, oh, it's you, Belcher. Another delivery? And Belcher's response is, yeah, got me some peach fuzz ripe for picking. Ugh. Yeah, super gross. Yeah, super gross. Reminds me of uh, Face Off. Nicolas Cage movie? Yeah, the Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. You know, I can uh, eat a peach for hours. It's really, really creepy. Uh. But, yeah, Raven has questions about that. She's like, peach fuzz? Was that an insult? And somebody in the van says, I think they mean we're young. At least that's what I hope they meant. Uh, it makes me That makes me think of the other things they might mean. Yeah. Ugh, like, that somehow makes it even worse. No, Raven, he's just a pederast. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, probably both. Ugh. I mean, it's not. that's not an either-or thing. Yeah. Ugh, gross. I did think when we first saw Belcher, I thought it was Robin in disguise. I did too. Anytime we see a guy who looks vaguely like that who has a mustache, I assume that it is Robin in disguise. He's supposed to be a great detective. Yeah, I think he could dress up like that. I know, I was disappointed. Yeah, I was disappointed that Belcher was... And it took me a while to puzzle out that it wasn't him still. At first, really, like, Robin. I was like... <laughs> That's disgusting. Yeah, I, th- well, I thought he was like, oh, he set up this character named Belcher. And it's like, wait, no, he hasn't had time to do that. The guy doesn't... Re- he wouldn't have been ferrying teenagers for that long. But it wasn't until, like, I had gone through it a little bit that I was like, okay, that isn't Robin. Mm-hmm. He's, in the tr- he's in the back of the van. Yep. So let's talk about who isn't in the back of the van. Victor... Right. Not in the back of the van. Right. Starfire, not in the back of the van. Right. Garfield Logan, not in the back of the van. Right. Why do you think they aren't in the back of the van? All recognizable. Okay. Starfire's disguise is impenetrable. Can't she just put on sunglasses? Oh, that's a good point. I forgot about that. Like, are we now admitting that that is not a good disguise? I think we may be coming around. My other thing is, why don't they get Cyborg a mask? Masks are super good in the DC universe. Mm. Why don't Cyborg and Beast Boy get masks? Or, failing that, why doesn't Beast Boy just, like, dress up as a gnat or a worm or something? It seems like his power is and has been used a bunch of times for spycraft. This would be a great opportunity. Good point. Anyway, I think they should get masks. Lots of times we get masks over masks. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't see why we couldn't have a mask over a cyborg. Sure. I hope that that comes up in, in future stories. Mm-hmm. Well, shit, you ready to get into the minutiae? I think that pretty much covers it. We had somebody send in a... They wrote some backup music to accompany Rick's theme song, so I thought we'd try that out this time. Uh, it is by a gentleman named Bry Thagoras. Let's check it out. Okay. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like everything parts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. And thanks, Bry Thagoras. Indeed. So, what do you want to start with? There was a lot of good clothes. Man, yeah, we should get sartorially speaking out of the way because there's a lot to talk about. Let's start with Brother Blood. Yes. What do you think of his outfit? Well, I'm of two minds on the subject. One okay. is, it's a pretty fucking goofy hat he's yeah. got. The rest of it is, what a great costume for a bad guy. I think overall, it is a great costume for a bad guy. And even the hat doesn't bother me that much because you had pointed out that you thought it had aspirational eyes on the top. Mm-hmm. I think that is more a Atuma situation where I think he is wearing an actual skull of a beast as part of the hat. And I think that's kind of badass. Yes, but it still has eye holes that are not his eye holes. But, I mean, it's part of the skull. So the animal it, had eyes. If he had a drawing of an animal's Yes, head, now that is like, what I'm talking about. Ah, I see, I yeah. see. I think it's a pretty, pretty good look, pretty intimidating. It is the kind of costume that looks amazing. I think that if someone other than Perez had drawn it, it could look very goofy very easily. Mm-hmm. But... It's super elaborate. It's got a nice high collar Dracula cape, but then is cut. So like there are these ropey bits that go over the shoulders. It's a cool cape. The part that has the potential to look the goofiest, I think, is there is a way of looking at it where it looks like he just has a big red fake mustache. (laughs) 
<laughs> and kind of once you see that, it's tough to not see it that, that way. had not occurred to it me. It looks like, like the kind of mustaches that they used to put when people were driving for lift at first on the front of the car. I don't think they still do that, do they? The big pink mustaches. People know you are a driver for lift. I remember seeing a couple cars with those and thinking, oh, that's weird. I yeah. guess people like mustaches now. But didn't it look like Brother Blood's? Like, the front of his costume a little bit. I suppose so. Uh, what else do you want to talk about, fashion-wise? Also, Brother Blood's Disciples. When the comic opens up, the chase scene. Right, Marcy. Yeah. At first, I thought Marcy had just, like, this badass uniform. Yeah. That looked kind of like a, a ninja suit with super baggy sleeves and pants. Yeah. Trimmed with red. Pretty red good. Red and black. Good look. Yeah. Thought it was really cool. But then it turns out that she had just lost her she red. She had joined hood. a cult. And yeah. she'd lost a hood. Yeah. Yeah. Still, it is a good look. Um, I can see a situation in which maybe somebody flees the cult and then keeps that as their superhero uniform. I think that would be pretty cool. Like, maybe rips the sleeves off. I liked Cyborg's outfits. Kind of all of them. That guy is a sharp dresser. He's wearing a nice, tight, button-down shirt tucked into his jeans, which is a tough look to pull off. But honestly, I like whenever Victor wears clothes. It just looks cool. I wish he would wear clothes more often. His get-up for the funeral, I thought, was really, I think, a tough look to pull off. Describe it. It's a dark blue three-piece suit, but instead of a dress shirt and a tie, he's got a, a white turtleneck on. Yeah. It, but he rocks he, it. He makes it look good, man. Mm -hmm. He makes all his outfits look good. Yep. He makes turtlenecks look good. I think being a cyborg is probably the best way to pull off a turtleneck. Second best way, being Donald Sutherland. See that? Those are, those are two good ways to pull off a turtleneck. We already talked about the black trench coat over the superhero uniform, which we are in disagreement over. Mm -hmm. My notes I... on that are just, Robin! <laughs> Fair enough. And we talked a little bit about Raven wearing pants for the first time. Mm -hmm. There is also a scene where Raven, when she is going undercover initially, before she gets her cult outfit, she's wearing a little scarf around her neck that I thought was a pretty cool look. Mm -hmm. Pretty good. Yeah. A lot of good fashion in this issue. Yeah, not bad, Appreciated not bad. it. Yeah. And yeah, overall, Brother Blood looks dope as fuck. Yep, badass, bad guy. He looks, to quote the descriptive phrasing describing his establishment, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when we first show up retreat. at his cult pad, upon first view, Blood's retreat is awesome. <laughs> then its decadent splendor becomes apparent. Nice think decadent splendor can be pretty awesome but awesome is used in the non-slang way a few times in this and that is one instance and then brother blood says it later it makes me want to read brother blood's dialogue like he is a valley girl <laughs> when he talks about my awesome power yeah <laughs> yeah so that's that's kind of fun what do you want to hit next let's move over to sound effects sounds good i got me a little thing that i like to call Chugga 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 Yeah! <laughs> I figured that would come up. Yeah, that's my favorite. Other than that, both times Brother Blood uses his ray gun, mm -hmm. it's pretty cool. One makes the standard zwip noise, which we've heard, but then later it goes zwam. Both of those are pretty good, and I like the fact that he appears to be shooting the word out of the ray gun, and yeah. it's using perspective in a way that makes the letters get bigger as it approaches. I also enjoyed that. I noted the, the, the zwip. Yeah. Because it's got a real kind of lasery sound. Mm-hmm. But I like zwam. Yeah. A lot, too. And uh, I think it's come up before, but I had to go with the ska band. Sure. Um, Scrablam. Scrablam. Scrablam's not a ska band. Scrablam would be a ska I know, it's so close, It though. has to have it's ska so in the close. name, Corey. It has to have ska in the name. Otherwise, how would you know it's a ska band? I don't know. I mean, it could be Mustard Plug or the Toasters. That's true. But, specials. Yeah. I don't know. There's music. And people like it, and some people don't. Controversial statement by Corey Whitney. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, with that hot take out of the way, <laughs> let's move on to... Do you have a show and tell or a timestamp or a combination of the two for this one? I have a few show and tells. Okay. What were your show and tells? Because I actually have one of each. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've been having trouble with the, the time stamps. but maybe I thought I there was a pretty obvious, obvious one. one in this one. but So, I think my first choice is on page 21. Dick, they're attacking us! When they are being that attacked. That is fair. I had one on page 11 that is 
brother blood pushing a finger that releases a trap that shoves a lady into a pit with a giant spider that kills her. Oh, creepy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but the captioning reads, a powerful finger casually presses a button. Mm. As we see a finger pressing a button. Ah. And that is not the first time we have seen Wolfman over-describe button pushing. Well. That, what kind of finger is pushing that button? Yeah. Is it powerful? I mean, expert? how do you know he's pushing the button? He could just be touching the button or right, near right. the button. Right, right. I mean, he clearly doesn't trust Perez enough to show a button being depressed and see that there is a result from that and have us put the pieces together that a button has been pushed. It's a leap. It really is, and I'm glad that he was able to talk us through that difficult process. Indeed. Um, what were your other show-and-tells? I also had on page 12 when a bunch of dudes with machine guns pop out and start shooting at everybody. And I forget if it's Starfire or Raven says, these guys are looking for a fight. That's fair. Yeah, I think that was Starfire, but I could be wrong about it. Yeah, she says, um, I don't need to be Robin to know that these guys are looking for <laughs> yeah, a fight. I don't need Robin to tell me. Oh, that's right. I, I like to view that as a dig on Robin, that he's always showing and telling. That Master he's always over-explaining mm. things. Or just, you know talking down, mansplaining every situation. Right. I see that as a fairly Robin-esque trait. Although, as I said, I have been liking Robin better and better in these issues than I did in the original Titans run. Agreed. My timestamp was on page 18, where Wally West describes the Brother Blood compound as being creepier than a John Carpenter movie. Oh, good point. Yeah, I, I noticed it's, Now, that I know he's had a long career that has spanned a number of times, but this is when he starts being a cultural reference, and it's kind of an obvious attempt to shoehorn in a cultural reference that I don't really think fit the tone of the conversation. We have Beast Boy making statements like that a fair amount, and Wally, I think, does as well. That was what I was, I was getting from this. There was a movie that really freaked me out as a, as a kid. And the Prince of Evil? Yeah, yeah. Prince of... Yeah, was it Prince of Evil? The one that had Alice Cooper? Yeah, I remember you seeing it and being freaked out by it. I still mm -hmm. haven't seen it. Yeah, Alice Cooper plays a creepy homeless dude that kills somebody by... Putting a bicycle spoke in their neck? It's No, it's a bicycle with the front tire removed. Oh. And, uh, and he puts the front forks through somebody. Ouch. Yeah. Not cool. Grotesque. Yeah, powerful stuff, Alice Cooper. Mm. Powerful stuff. So this place that they're at is creepier than that. Dang. That's pretty creepy. It's creepy as creepy can be. Mm-hmm. You want to take it to the Bozone? Let's take this party to the Bozone. What did you feel was the best example of a character, either literally or metaphorically, calling another character a real Bozo? I really liked on page 23 Robin's diatribe against Brother Blood, and they're kind of going back and forth and trading some insults. And he says, after Brother Blood's like, I'm going to kick your ass, you don't know what you're up against, blah, blah, blah. Right. Robin says, buddy, I've heard that from every two-bit creep that ever crawled out from the mud hole you sp that spawned you twisted madmen. And you know something, Blood? You're all losers. Ooh, harsh. Harsh. That is a sick burn. I also went with a sick burn from Robin. Mine was, man... This hurts to even read. I mean, I know that he's a bad guy, but uh, he calls Brother Blood a crumb. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty harsh. A real crumb. He's talking about how most people are good, but some people are bad. We're in the majority, the vast majority, but all you need is a few crumbs like this Brother Blood. That's pretty good. I love that he called him a crumb. I wish he had called him a crumb bum, because yep. that's... Even a little bit better, but it's just so fucking old-timey. And especially coming from Robin, I, I loved that. Yep. And I think really fits with the spirit of the Bozone. And so. as, as close as you can get to calling somebody a Bozo. So that, that was my choice. That was good. And I had a little backup that's not probably technically belonging in the Bozone, but it cracked me up. And it's uh, when they're in the van and the uh, priest guy comes over and says, get ready for processing. And Wally makes a little under-his-breath joke or comment, and it says, We're people, not cheese. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wally. That's the old Wally. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. That's the syrup-chugging guitar-playing... Rapscallion rap that Rapscallion teen we know and love. So, who'd you have as your Aqualad? Who'd you have as your Speedy? Uh, I know I say this every time, but sure. th th this one was tough. Okay. So, for my Speedy, for... I guess lack of other speedies. I didn't like Wally's 
when they started to talk about religion, this idea of like real religion and versus not real religion. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so for being a Scientologist, I dinged Wally. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I think we can all agree that cults are bad mm-hmm. in general, but yeah, to think that there's that kind of a clear delineation between real religions and not real religions. I agree. Fairly intolerant of Wally. Not great. Uh, I actually went with Beast Boy just because he didn't really do shit. And and I know that's not always like normally I try to have somebody who does something bad, mm-hmm. but he didn't really join them in any of their crime fighting, including the one at the beginning where he could have been of real use in the baseball caper. And he didn't go undercover with them. Like, like I said, like he has a power that is ideal for spycraft and he didn't use it at all and just kind of sat things out. So it's a little weak. But I went with Beast Boy. Conversely, who was your Aqualad this issue? I'm pleased to report that this time I was able to choose Raven. As was I. Ah. Yeah, she did a good job. Yeah, my reasoning was she almost saved the day. Yep. Not quite. (laughs) She kind of saved the day at first. Yep. And she also did the thing at the funeral without mind wiping that dude. Which was was cool. And I think you're overlooking. For the sake of her close friend, she was willing to to undergo the torturous horror that is wearing pants. (laughs) She did not like them. She did not like them, but she wore them. That's true. To help her friend. Good on you, Raven. And she saved Starfire from falling too far. Yep. Yeah, from falling too far, and then also from the effect of her saving (laughs) Raven, which had taken away all the sunlight, and she's solar-powered, so... Yeah, she she brought her back from that, so that Mm -hmm. that was good. But overall... Yeah, I agree. Nice job, Raven. Good show. Way to wear pants. Corey, if you were ever in real trouble, I would wear pants for you. Oh, that's nice. Thanks. All right. I think that just leaves us with favorite panel. What was your favorite panel in this issue? I had two that were kind of a toss-up, and and they were... One of them is just a, a little tiny panel on page nine where Cyborg is listening real hard, and it's doing the uh, the sound wave thing and these concentric circles that kind of go out from his his ear mm-hmm. uh, amplifiers which i think we've seen before and i've liked also but it has a, a really kind of cool graphical quality to it yeah yeah it, it's like on the super friends cartoon when aquaman does his yeah. but it's centered on his ear instead of on his forehead so you know he's mm-hmm. listening to things not sending telepathy to control his finny friends yeah, and I think now that we talk about it, this this has definitely come up in the past. Where so I guess I do have a an affection for mesmer like wah wah wahs. Yeah, wah wah wahs. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, it is. It is pretty good. My backup is it's just a goofy panel that really cracked me up. It's towards the end. It is well, brother blood is celebrating his victory, but more importantly, his minions are celebrating their victory. They've just seen him. Murder these super-powered teens, apparently. They're not dead, but they're close to it. Mm -hmm. And they're doing this weird, like, these two ladies in their, I guess, nun robes are doing this weird raise-the-roof dance. And it really (laughs) cracks me up. It's like, that is not an appropriate reaction to this, where they're just saying, Yay! Raise the roof! (laughs) Brother blood! Yeah. Uh, And it, it cracked me up. I thought that was really fun. What was your favorite panel? I believe my favorite was on page 12, and it's almost the full page of Brother Blood and his glory Ooh. with, like, a some other lady that's, like, I don't know, his supporter. She's, like, the sleeveless nun in the evening gown with no habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's clearly higher up in the ranks because she has a different outfit from everybody else, but we don't really get to see who she is. I think she's just, like, a sexy lady, like, that the bad guy is, like, I also have one of these. Yeah. I am in charge. I think that might be fair. And it's 1982. And they have just seen a super creepy looking spider eating a lady. That was gross. It is really gross. It's a really well drawn panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't quite make the cut for me. The The Brother Blood one is great. The spider is great. But for my favorite, it's Cyborg having his Wolverine moment where he goes down on his knees and bellows at the heavens, no, no, no. Ah. Or in his case, why, 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 why? Why, yep. But it's really well done. It's it's a really nice panel. I know it's kind of a, a comic book cliche, but it's really well executed. You see how upset he is, and that's before he's able to like really start bottling his shit up. 
It's just him bellowing why at the heavens uh, while there's been this explosion that has killed his ex-girlfriend, Marcy. Mm -hmm. And it's really well done. You can see the anguish in him. It's cool. You feel bad for the dude. You do, indeed. I think that's it for our minutiae. Mm. But, Corey, I got a question for you. Yes? Waput! Oh. What is Aqualad probably up to? Mm. In July... Of 1982. Yes. Aqualad finds himself missing his his buddies back at their uh, their old stomping grounds. Oh, um, yeah. The rec room, the reading area, the workout space where they had to go work out for two days. When, oh, when right, Wonder right, right. So he's not going back to the Gabriel's Horn, the nightclub on. No, 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 no. He's no. going to their original. Yeah, so he's thinking about that. He's feeling nostalgic and he's thinking, oh, my good old days and... Robin showing us all his cool trapeze moves. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, I see where you're going. <laughs> I just, you know, be cool if I, I don't know, maybe I bumped into those guys and I had something cool to show them, but, and he tries some stuff and it just doesn't, he's just like, man, I just don't have it. I don't have it. I can't swing from trapeze thing to the other trapeze thing with, with like the ease that I want. Sounds like he could maybe some inspiration. He could. Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out he's also a big fan of the Guinness Book of World Records. Who isn't? Right. So he's been following the attempts that people have been making to uh, to do things with making themselves lighter. And uh, using balloons, helium balloons. Okay. In fact. So his buddy Larry Walters has been really trying to push the envelope, as it, as it were, with, with what humans can do with balloons. Not big balloons, like hot air balloons, but just, you know, like mylar helium balloons. He does love balloons. Yeah. Now, Corey, would you say these balloons are yesterday? Or are these balloons definitely today? Oh, shit. No, <laughs> there's no drugs in these balloons. Oh, okay. that's these a shame. Totally drug-free balloons. <laughs> Mr. Jupiter, <laughs> creepy old bl- balloon man, is, vendor is nowhere to be seen. No, these are just normal. Okay. But Larry Walters, what he does is he ties 42 of these things to a lawn chair and is able oh. to ascend to the lofty height of about 16,000 Wow. Feet. Pretty crazy. And so Aqualad, totally impressed by this, decides to go back to meet some of his old buddies from the carnival days. You know, some contacts that he had made through Robin. So the balloon thing happened pretty early in the month. It was was the beginning of July. uh, Right. The first or second. Right. He's really inspired by this. So he goes back and he he finds his buddy uh, Miguel Vasquez, who is is a a very famous trapeze man. I know who Miguel Vasquez is. Yeah, who doesn't, right? Especially Robin, one of Robin's big heroes. He's like, Miguel, dude, have I got the idea for you. We're going to make this awesome thing. And show Robin, you know how you've been trying to just uh, nail that quadruple... Somersault. Somersault. Yeah. Yeah. It was a super difficult move. Every Uh time you fall off, you land on the crash pad. We're going to tie some fucking helium balloons to you so you can pull this thing off. And they train together. And within eight short days, by the 10th, Miguel nails it for the first time ever. Quadruple somersault. Wow. Pretty impressive. Yep. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to in July of 1982. That's my best take on it. (laughs) Well, that is indeed part of what he was up to. He was instrumental in that terrific somersault. I'm sorry to say that was not the only thing that was uh, the cause of Aqualad being inspired that month. That was not the only thing that influenced him. A busy young man. Well, he is a busy young man. Now, on July 4th, this busy young man found himself in Hawaii. Oh. He'd been invited to a wedding. His old friend, Geezer Butler who he had interceded with on his behalf on a burglary charge earlier, Uh. had invited Aqualad to attend the marriage of his buddy, Ozzy Osbourne. (laughs) Okay. So Aqualad's like, oh, okay, I'll I'll go to this wedding. This should be a good time. Now, unfortunately, he had a bit of a sinus infection. Oh, no. Just like... That's irritating. It's really irritating. So when he got to this wedding reception and he saw some people putting things up their nose, he was like, oh, that'll clear up my sinuses. That must be what these people are doing. Ah. So he uh, snorted a big line of white powder. Uh Oh, boy. Mm. Oh, boy. (laughs) Now, not only did it have the expected consequence of he gets super amped and has a lot of interesting stories about himself. Sure. (laughs) But he also is 
dehydrated at an even more rapid rate than he normally would be. Oh. So it's only been 20 minutes since he's been out of water, but he has got to get something to drink. Mm-hmm. So he calls his old buddy Beaky and is like, Beaky, Beaky, you got to get me some water. And Beaky, no, I know Beaky's Beaky fucked up before. doesn't have the best track record. No, and unfortunately that continues. Oh, Beaky. He doesn't get, bring him alcohol, so that's good. Oh, okay. But... It's still not great. Uh Uh-oh. There's a big hot sauce fountain at this wedding. Of course. It was the 80s. It was the 80s. It's a time of excess. Anything could happen. Now, Beaky can't tell the fucking difference. Hmm. Beaky fills up his pelican beak Uh with hot sauce. Oh, jeez. Now, birds can't tell when things are spicy. That's actually partly why spicy things exist, is because uh, aren't affected by the spiciness in seeds but mammals are and so that is why spicy things grow so that birds will pick their seeds they won't get eaten by squirrels Uh uh, and they'll be spread farther areas that's curious yeah i like to try to work an animal fun fact into my house i did not know that so beaky fills his beak with hot sauce Oh, brings it back to aqualad to drink aqualad's like thank you beaky i was getting so dehydrated uh oh! Oh jeez! Uh oh! That is so spicy! That is so so spicy! So, he drinks all of the beer at Ozzy's wedding. Oh man! All of the beer at Ozzy's wedding. I want you to think about that sentence and think how fucked up Aqualad probably is. So dangerous! He's also on cocaine. Yeah. Oh boy! Oh. So he just starts running around the world, basically, mm. just swimming around. Drunkenly messing with shit, getting over enthusiastic about stuff. Right. The world's governments. Oh, he also decides to go and watch his friend do a somersault. Okay, yeah. All kinds of shit's going on. Shenanigans. Man. Hardcore shenanigans. The world governments are like, well, what, what is Aqualad's problem? He was always such a nice, respectful young man. Mm-hmm. We don't want to further incur his wrath. Right. You know what it is? Hmm. He's probably upset about all this wailing. <laughs> what can we do to appease him? So, yep. due to Aqualad's cocaine and alcohol-fueled rampage, the world governments finally agree to ban commercial whaling. Dang. It doesn't take effect until 1985. Yep. But in 1982, July, July 23rd, 1982, they decided to pass the international ban on commercial whaling. Now... There's still some indie whaling going on. Sure. But it's not so corporate. Yeah, yeah. So that's still cool. <laughs> Artisanal. Right, whaling. right. Just like, you know, some punk whaling. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Commercial whaling. Banned. Nice work, Thanks Aqualad. to Beaky not being able to taste hot sauce. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. <laughs> this has been a real treat. Uh, if you would like to contact us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us online. And if you would like to look us up on iTunes and give us a five-star rating and subscribe, well, I think that would be a great thing for you to do. Uh, we have a new Patreon goal. We are just $20 away from reaching right now. So if we reach that goal, we will cover every giant size Defenders issue, every king size Defenders annual, and all of the new Teen Titans annuals. So if you would like to hear us cover those things, now would be a great time for you to make a donation at Patreon. It's patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. And that's what we got. Thank you so much for joining us on this dark and spooky journey. Yeah! <laughs> Thanks, guys. People not cheese. Yeah, man. Yeah.